Numbers 13, and when you find it, just kind of look up this way. We'll pray, and we will begin. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, as we come to you this morning, in the quietness of this hour, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to administer your word to us in a way that is different from us just casually reading it, so that we might have the understanding of your heart and of your care for us, and that through this, Lord, you would be glorified in our lives as we live for you. Thank you for who you are, for your love to us. Thank you that our hearts can be still and know that you are God. It's in Christ in my pray. Amen. What keeps a person from going the way that God wants him or her to go? Stipulating those who are followers of Christ. What is it that keeps someone from doing that? Or, or doing just simply what God wants him or her to do? Or what causes a person to not simply obey when God leads? What is it that goes through the heart and mind? And what would cause a person who looks ahead to a potential difficulty to turn and run to a difficulty that was horrendous and would go rather go back to that one than something that may or may not happen? What is it that goes through our minds for us to be fearful, to doubt who God is, and so not to obey? Now, this morning, this account from Scripture is, yes, for graduates, but is also for every one of us with whom God desires to lead and to, to use for his glory. Every one of us can find. So, familiar story, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to look at it, but I'm going to kind of tell the story as the verses go by. And I want you to catch what God has for us. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, don't forget that part. He spoke to Moses saying, the Lord, Yahweh, the personal name of God, this one is, this uh, God of all the ages is speaking to Moses. These are his words, his command. He said, send out for yourself men so they may go spy out the land of Canaan. And I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. I'm going to give them this land. And so I want you to send men to go and to spy out, to look, to assess the land. And so he tells them, um, how to do it? You shall send a man from, from each of their father's tribe, every one of them a leader from among them. But don't miss this phrase here, this land which I am going to give the sons of Israel. So, verse 1, God speaks to Moses. He stipulates in verse 2 that he is going to give the land to them. So they continue. So Moses, he is obedient to God. He sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord. And all of the men were heads of the sons of Israel. And so he, he walks through this, and the, uh, the writer kind of gives a parenthetical understanding of what this is. Uh, verse 4, 
down through verse 16. These are the men. These are the tribes. These are the heads of those tribes as they work through. And so these, verse 16, are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So, verse 17. When Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, the south region, then go into the hill country. Go, go, he says, and see what the land is like. See what that land is like. So he's going to give them the, uh, the understanding. They're going to spy out the land, but is it militarily? What, what's it like going up there? What are the people? You'll see the flavor of this. Verse 18, what is the land like? Well, what are the people living? Are they strong? Are they weak? Uh, are they many? Are they few? And as he gets into it, he'll say, will the land sustain our people? They're, he's giving commands, and they're going to spy out this to find out, assess how is the land in which they live. Is it good or bad? Verse 19, and how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps, or are they walled cities fortifications? So he's a, he wants them to assess this. And so they go up and do this. Uh, verse 20, how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Or, are there fruit? What is it? And so the writer tells us that it's a time of the first grapes. So you get an understanding here of what's going on. Moses is sending them up. It was the season of the first grapes, so probably the end of July, this, this time in this land. And we believe it's like two months after they have left the Sinai, okay? So after the, um, they've given the law, all of this, they're moving through. And so the, the, tra- the spies are going to go up. It's about 50, 250 miles, uh, kind of a route they do. This is not a, a short time. This is not a up and back in a day and a half. They're going to take their time, walk through, probably not to give you know, much suspicion. We're just travelers traveling through. The, the idea is that they did from July and probably didn't return until mid-September. Okay, so this, this is some time of examination. Verse 23, um, they come back and they give the report. And they look at that, this report, and in verse 23 they talk about what they saw. They came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there they cut down a branch and the single cluster of grapes. And so they had this pole. Okay, but stretched between two men, the grape, one cluster of grape, then put some pomegranates. Man, this place is great. And as you can imagine, they're given the, uh, the report, and they, they kind of get the oohs and the ahs, you know. Wow, this is, this is neat. They have a lot of stuff. Verse 27. Verse 27. And they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, the expression of, man, this land is bountiful. It will more than take care of us. And, and this... Between these poles, an example of the fruit. Boy, you know, we gained weight on this trip. <laughs> Thanks. Um, that, that's kind of the idea. They, they, were, they were full. They were fed. It was a great trip uh, from all accounts of looking at the land in this first verse. But the oohs and ahs turned to oh and oh me's. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Oh, they saw giants. The, the uh, Amalek is living, verse 29, in the land of, of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And all the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan as they look and they see there are lots of people there and they're fierce people. They're fierce and so what was once great expectations is, is turning because of the, the story these men are telling. It doesn't look so great. It's, it could be bad. 
And you've got to love Caleb here. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Okay, so against all the noise, Caleb steps forward and says, No, by all means we should go. We, should, we, we can do this. We can overcome. However, they continue. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are too strong for us. They are too strong. There are too, too many of them. Verse 32, so they gave out to the sons of the Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Just a little bit of exaggeration, okay? A land that the earth just swallows them up, okay? It devours its inhabitants, and the, and the people we saw in it are men of great size. They're huge. They're huge. And, and to, to follow this up, they say, you know, um, we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. We, when we looked at them, we're like, we're grasshoppers. And then so we, we're projecting what they think, so they must think that we're grasshoppers too. We look just like that. And so look at how they're building this all. More self-focused inward is true strong for us. The land is ours as inhabitants. This is a terrible place. Let's go back. Great produce report. Okay, great produce, but they're giants. So, uh, okay, never mind. Not going to go. Let's turn back around. In fact, you, that's exactly what happened. Look what, look what through, the, through the course of this brief account, what happens. There is, first of all, doubt. Can we, can we do this? Are we able? And they're, they're answering the question, we aren't able. They're huge. We can't do it. They doubt their own ability, don't they? They doubt their own ability. We're going to see it in a minute. In all reality, it's not up to them and their ability but they doubt their ability, and that turns into fear. That turns into great, great fear. Um, not only do they, they doubt, they, and their fear is very dramatic. I mean, they might win an Oscar for this. Uh, they're crying. They're, they're, in verse 1, you see, they cry out. Okay, they're weeping, but the fear overtakes them. And you're going to see in a second here, because then the fear leads to something else. It leads to rebellion, in the beginning of the next chapter, it leads to rebellion, and then they decide to blame God. Okay, it's all God's fault. Verse 1, Then the congregation lifts up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Didn't say all night, but they, they very well may, could have. But they wept that night. They're crying. Now, these are people, these are a lot of people. This is not like, you know, small congregation. It's... At this time, they are growing even in the wilderness, and there are a lot of people. And they're weeping, they're crying. And all the sons of Israel, in verse 2, chapter 14, grumble. They start to complain. So the rebellion starts with grumbling. They, they grumble against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. You know what, Moses? We, we would rather have died in Egypt. Wait, wait. You just came from there. You just came. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember Pharaoh chasing you? Remember God parting the waters? We would rather die. Okay, you go back a little further. Do you remember all the bricks that you made to build the, the palaces, the pyramids, I'm not sure, to build all these things? Do you remember all of that and how they were beating you and whipping you? You want, you would rather have died. Like they're in the sand of Egypt, yes. Or in the wilderness, they say, look, look at the mindset in fear and doubt. We want to go back to something that we know that we would have died, so let's go back there. 
please, may we go? And they continue that. Why is the Lord? This, here's where they start blaming. They go from Moses and Aaron, who are representing God here, to God. Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Yeah, they're going to give you a nice warm welcome. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, it was because of your God that the whole army died, and Pharaoh, and yeah, they're going to love for you to return. But this is the mindset. This is the mindset when fear and doubt and grumbling and rebellion come forward. And so they said to one another, let's appoint a leader. Let's go back. Let's get going. Let's shoo somebody. And the response of Moses and Aaron, they fell upon their faces in the presence of the assembly, the congregation of the souls, sons of Israel. They said, let's, let's, let's go. Let's blame God. Appoint a leader. Let's head back. Let's go make those mud bricks. That was really nice. Boy, those are nice mud bricks. When doubt creeps in, as it did here for the people of Israel, and when it begins to bloom fully, you blame others. You blame God. You even want to go back, as illogical as it may seem, to past terrible situations. I want to go back there. It's terrible. That's okay. It's the known. It's the known. It's, I know how bad it was. At least I know how bad it was. I'm not sure how bad it will be over there. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. That land, there are giants there. There are giants. Joshua and, none, uh, Joshua and Caleb. They tore their clothes, a sign of grief, of distress, and they cry out to the people. They spoke to the congregation, the sons of Israel. The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. And notice verse 8. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And there, right there, they put the, their finger, as it were, on the situation. If it is God's will, if he is pleased with us, he will give the land to us. He will do it. He commands us to go, but he will make it happen. This land. Only their warning. Do not rebel. Do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. For they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And in this wonderful words from, from these two men, they put the, the responsibility and the protection and the care directly upon the Lord, exactly how he will provide for them. They do not know, but they do know that he will because he has promised to do so. Remember the verse, very, verse, very first two verses of 13. God will give it. The Lord said. But do not rebel. However, they didn't respond so well. But all the congregation said, uh, said to stone them with stones. You know, shoot the messenger. Or stone the messenger here. They're saying this, stone them with stones, but notice what I've bolded here on the slide. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of meeting to the all, all the sons of Israel. And at that moment, the glory of God, as they would see it, 
and the cloud descended. They saw the presence of, the, of God come by, the, his glory surround that tent of meeting which they would come out to, to see he came. He came. I want to pause there because we know how the story ends. We know the 40 years of the wilderness. But I submit to you the story did not have to have that ending. It did not have to have that ending, but for a couple of things. This morning, I don't know exactly what God will do with you. I don't know where he will take you. Some of you are saying, well, I've been past graduation for a while and I'm settled. Not always. God may have something else very exciting for you, but it may require faith. See, there are always going to be giants in our lives. There are always going to be the things that come and cause us to doubt ourselves, our own ability. There there are even going to be things that cause us to doubt God in our flesh and our human nature. I'm speaking to believers here this morning that you will doubt your ability and you'll doubt God and you'll begin to think upon these things and you'll begin to to fixate on this. And the answer is not to stare at the giants. The answer instead is to trust God. The answer is to trust God. I wrote in most of the books uh, that I gave to the graduates, part of the uh, recitation that the, the children gave in Joshua 1, 8 and 9. Be strong, be of good courage. For the Lord. See, our trust in God, our faith in Him, must be our focus in any time of giants. So we have to learn to trust God, and we have to learn to trust God in two different areas, just to keep our time brief this morning. Trust God that He cares. Trust God that He cares. That's where Satan comes at us. We have fear, we have doubt. Is, does God care? Does God even know that I'm there? Does God even love me? Because if he did, he wouldn't send this adversity my way. You know you've you thought that. We tend to doubt that God cares for us, and he does. He cares. Adversity is not a sign that he's stopped loving you. Adversity is not a sign that he stopped loving you. Many times it is within the adversity that we are refined. I think of John 15. Abide in me and I will abide in me. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll ask what you will. But you notice that whole portion there? It talks about pruning. It talks about the work that God the Father does in the heart and life of a believer to cut away those things that are not profitable and even to cut away those things to prune so that we might bear much fruit. Our problem is we look at the adversity and say, that's God not loving us. That's God not caring for us. Instead of, this is what God is doing, so I will bear much fruit. This is the, the adversity that God gives that I must strengthen my spiritual muscle of trusting God and of following Him. God cares. Trust that He cares. But secondly, trust that he's able. 
Trust that God is able. Because that's where we... It's odd. Intellectually, we will know that God is supreme, that he is powerful. But in fear and doubt and giants, where do we go? Well, I don't think God can do this. Oh, boy, I don't know if we can make that. I better, I better do it myself because I'm much more powerful, right? Um, I think to myself, Stacy, have you lost your mind? Really? Are you more powerful than God? Do you have the wisdom of God? No. It's like God said to Job, where were you? Where and I? Fill in the blank. Created the world. All of these things. Where were you? Trust that God is able. God is able. We sing the song, the chorus. He's able. He's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through, but yet we want to pick up the, um, the, the reins of our lives, and we want to do it our own self. Selves. We want, to, we want to do it because I'd rather depend upon me. It's that same thinking that says we want to go back to a known uh, terrible situation than go to an unknown situation that may or may not be terrible. It's that same thinking that says I want to take care of myself. Even though I know I'm, I'm weak, I'm frail, I want to do it. I want to be able, God, instead of focusing upon God. And if I can convince you of anything today, that if you're a follower of Christ, God is able God does care. He knows where you are. And yes, there have been times in my life where Christ has come and given me adversity. Sometimes it's the consequences of my own sin, and I pay for them. Sometimes, after repentance, God continues to work in my life, to to prune, to work, to grow, to wash, so that I might bear fruit. He desires to do that with you, but... We must trust God. We must trust God in those times. We must trust God. I will leave you with two scriptures from the New Testament that I hope that will seal this thought this morning. Number one, Philippians 4, uh, 1, 6. For I am confident, Paul writes, I am confident of this very thing, that he... That he who has begun a good work in you, that Christ who has begun a good work in you, he's talking about salvation, talking about the gospel work of regeneration in your heart. He that has begun, begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. The idea is to, uh, of this perfection is to bring it to completion. Paul reminds us, he reminds the church of Philippi, that when God begins a work in the believer's heart, when he begins to, to work and, and to bring to salvation and to grow this one, he will not stop the work. He will continue to stop the work. He is confident that God will continue that to completion. Until the day that we stand before Christ. And I can remember times in my life when I have slowed down that process by going my own way. When all I need to do is trust God. Have the faith that God is who he says he is, that he is able and that he cares for me and he will sustain in everything he's doing to bring to his good and my growth. One other verse. Verse 6, Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God cares, that he is able, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. Let's believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, when God commands, step forward in faith. Give to God your fears. You say, Stacy, I don't know where the next step is. That's part of my problem. I don't know what it is. That happens often to graduates. It happens also often to the rest of us too, doesn't it? What is the next step? Often, from personal experience, God has delayed showing me the next step. He desires I do the next right thing. That what I'm doing now is honoring and pleasing to him. That I'm spending time in his word, that I'm growing in him. But Lord, I really want to know what's next. Wait, trust. Wait and trust. Wait and trust God. He'll bring it in his time. This morning from Numbers 13, I want to challenge your hearts to keep on walking obediently in faith. Keep on doing the next right thing. God will continue to complete the work that he has started in you. For many of us, it's the yielding process, that we yield ourselves to him. Romans 12, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, reasonable uh, service of worship. And I wonder, as I've wondered in times past in my life, that sometimes if God doesn't, quote-unquote, show up, so to speak, is because we're doubting of him. We doubt him. The reason I say that, because you remember in the Gospels, Jesus goes to a town, and he doesn't do many miracles there. Was Jesus any less powerful? Same Jesus, the town prior, the town after. Town prior, town after, he's healing, he's, he's doing all these things. He doesn't do many miracles. Do you remember why he didn't do many miracles? Hmm? Unbelief. Unbelief. There are times, looking back at my life, I, I think, I would have expected, God, that you had showed up there. And you had, you had kind of rescued me, rescued me out of the situation. Or you've done something that, that would at least told me where to go next. And I remember the case of my heart at that time. And I remember that I wasn't trusting him. I was trying to do it my own strength. I was doubting that God said he is able. See, for you and I, God desires, God, yes, commands that we trust him in faith. Trusting him, next steps. Stop trying to figure it out all beforehand. But Stacy, that's what I like to do. I know, I do too. That's how I know to say that. Uh, we always want to figure it out, don't we? We always want to know the answer before. 12 steps ahead, 15 steps ahead of what's going on. Stop. Trust. Trust God. Stop, stop trying to go your own way. You and I will always be frustrated. We will always be disappointed when we walk our own path. When we go our own way. 
this morning, when you're facing giants, the giants could be work, physical, relationships, health, things, or just next steps. The giants in our lives that we see are very small to God. They're not even like grasshoppers. So how will you respond? Will you trust? Trust without knowing exactly what's next. Trust God. In faith. It's impossible to please Him. He who comes to God must believe that He is. And He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This morning, for some of you, we may not see you again this side of eternity. And that saddens our heart. However, we're joyful in what God is doing in and through you. And we wish for you not a peaceful and happy and boring life, but a life that is lived in trusting God. And for those of us who have not yet hit a milestone like graduation or have <clears throat> seen them long past, if many years, to you and to me, come the call. Trust God. It's about for prayer. This morning, maybe you're here and let's say that verse in Philippians, God has not begun that good work in me. I don't know him as my, my savior. I've heard it times before. I've rejected it each time. You know, that's the step one. The step one is to, to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And if there's those that are here today who do not know Jesus as their savior today, is the day of salvation. It doesn't matter if people think you already know him. It's okay. They will rejoice. They won't look down on you. If you're confused about what it means, we have people in the back who would love to take God's word and to show you who he is. Believers this morning, you may have come with great fear. You may have fear of the unknown. You may have doubt that's plaguing you. What will I do? Where will I go? Who will I, will I see? May I urge you to place your trust in the God who loves you, the only one who can love you perfectly. Remember the day that you surrendered to God and gave your life to God? Remember that day. That's the day. That's the the peace and relief you felt that day is the peace and relief that can be yours today again as you trust Him. Part of faith is given to God and to surrender everything. If that's you this morning, surrender all. Trust God. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who cares, who is imminent, who loves no, oh God, I pray that you would, by your grace and mercy, deal with a heart that is fearful this morning, a heart that is understandably 
in unrest because of the future. And Lord, I pray that you would work in those hearts. Father, if there's one here that does not know Jesus as Savior, would you work? Would you make this the day? And Father, may we trust you no matter the giants. We trust you. You love us. You care. And you are able. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.